Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel. Honestly, you don't want to be taking generic legal advice from a YouTube channel or podcast in any event. On with the show. Should Greg Miller and Andrea Renee really be hosting for Electronic Arts? Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing partner of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today I think we have a shorter episode of Virtual Legality. Now, I want somebody to go back and see all of my introductions to Virtual Legality and see how many times I said it would be a shorter episode and how many of those quote-unquote shorter episodes went over, say, a half hour or so. But I think this is going to be a short one because I have only a few things I want to talk about because they were raised in a tweet from Electronic Arts today and because they affect some of the things we've been discussing in virtual legality that I have generally referred to as the age of the influencer, meaning the rise of folks that are not maybe traditional games media journalists that work in kind of the YouTube or Patreon sphere of things that work to influence, yes, but also just kind of to comment on the industry and how those people are interacting with their fans, with the game producers. We have a number of videos about how Electronic Arts has been dealing with influencers in general, and now they've taken another step forward in their interactions with these influencers in respect of their E3 uh, coverage. They've got, they're going to use live streams this year. They're not going to do anything more formal than that. Uh, but they're going to have hosts of these live streams. So they put out a tweet today that said the following. It said, We are excited to have some amazing hosts this year for our live streams. And then they added, they named some of these people, Game Over Greggy, that's Greg Miller of Kind of Funny Games, Andrea Renee, who's Andrea of What's Good Games, and some other folks that I didn't recognize but presumably have their own followings that Electronic Arts is trying to tap into by naming them hosts of their live streams at E3, at the EA Play 2019 event, which is what they call their live streams that will be going on concurrently with the E3 event. And I said in response to this that... It was nice for these folks. It was nice for Greg and Andrea to get this role. Andrea actually hosted the EA conference last year, so I think this is her second time around, uh, if not more. I think it's only been these two. I believe this is Greg's first time doing this hosting. But what I said in my tweet was that this was great for them, but it gave me pause in terms of how I am interacting with these folks, what's good games and kind of funny games, in respect to their commentary on the games industry. They do a lot of the kind of podcasting and daily shows in respect of kind of funny games that talks about the game industry, talks about games coming out, talks about what they are excited about. Very similar to the podcast and group that Hoagloss sponsors, the Easy Allies, which were formerly the Game Trailers crew. Uh, But in this respect, they're going to now host... Uh, an event of one of the publishers whose products that they comment on. And to me, I look at that and I say, okay, we're getting even closer to the dividing line between what you can trust and what you can't trust. So I look at something like this and say, it's, it's interesting. It certainly goes to what we've been talking about 
in virtual legality. The fact that these influencers, these folks that are now out there with their kind of personality-driven content and their YouTube channel and their Twitch streams and everything that goes with all of those things, that they're out there making a name for themselves. And I think that's great. I think we get a lot of good content, folks that like the industry from Easy Allies, from What's Good Games, from Kind of Funny Games. I like all of these folks and I use their uh, services all the time, but it does give you pause because they're now gonna be out there espousing the value of one of these producers of the content that they otherwise comment on. And you can see here a picture of some of the kind of funny games crew. I've been following Greg Miller since he was at uh, IGN. And I remember his E3 coverage from way, way, way back. And I think it really starts to bring to mind some of the questions that have been surrounding the journalism industry. And I don't know that we necessarily need to call these folks journalists, but that there's a, there's a need for objectivity in certain respects. And that objectivity has generally been in the form of dividing between the business side of things and the editorial side of things, that you wouldn't have people selling advertising, you wouldn't have people monetarily connected with the producers of the content that they are commenting on or they are reviewing. Uh, and you wouldn't have those same people in both seats. You wouldn't have folks that are selling the advertisement, making the business connections, and then also commenting or reviewing the products that come out from these people. But now we've moved into an area uh, in 2019, and this is not at all unique to video games. This is not unique to kind of funny games or what's good games. That really is evaluating uh, what kind of relationship they're going to have with the content producers, the Electronic Arts and the Activisions of the world on kind of an ad hoc basis. So it's clear that Greg Miller, the head of kind of funny games, and Andrea Renee or Andrea Renee at What's Good Games decided that they were going to enter into a contract with Electronic Arts where they were going to provide hosting services for their EA Play 2019. And they don't have a problem with that. They don't see a problem with that. I look at that as someone that's not involved with these groups, that's not involved directly with Electronic Arts and say, OK, I think that's fine. I think that's good. They're going to be great hosts. I like the hosting of Andrea and Greg, and I think it's going to make for an energetic series of live streams from an Electronic Arts. And so in the back of my mind, I'm happy that they're doing it because I like them and I like the way that they host their events and the, the way they comment on the game industry in general. But when November rolls around and they are reviewing or they're commenting on their experiences with the latest Respawn Jedi Knight Fallen Order game, it's going to be in the back of my head that these folks know that they've got a paying gig next May or next June if they don't bite the hand that feeds them too terribly much. You still got to do a little bit of something if there are any kind of comments that you want to make because you have to be legitimate. You have to present an honest opinion to your audience. But at the end of the day, I'm going to sit there and look at it and say, okay, they've got this prospective contract in the future. I don't know how lucrative it is. I don't know what kind of uh, money they're getting for their contractual services, but at bare minimum, they're getting exposure and they're getting access to electronic arts executives and they're getting their name out there and all these other kinds of benefits that go along with that. And I look at that and I say, okay, I'm gonna have to discount for myself mentally, personally, what they wind up saying about electronic arts output. When electronic arts announces a need for speed coming out in the fall, and they go and they play that Need for Speed game, where they comment on the Need for Speed game when they're making their commentary on E3. I'm going to have to say, okay, they got paid money 
from Electronic Arts. They're a contractor for Electronic Arts, and that's worth noting when we consider their comments. And that's not saying anything about them in particular as individuals, because I know, at least I think I know from what I've seen of them in the past, that they're going to do their best to be as objective as possible. They're going to try to say what they think about the actual game, but at the bare minimum, they're human beings, so they're going to lean towards liking it if they at all can, because they have these contractual commitments. And that's why when we talk about the age of the influencer, when we bring up Apex Legends and the requirements that the Federal Trade Commission has to disclose your relationship, to disclose the fact that if you're an influencer and you got flown out to look at Apex Legends early, that when you then tweet about it or you put something up on your Twitch channel about it, that you have to mention that you got flown out for free and you got hors d'oeuvres or whatever it is else that you got at the event for Apex Legends, I think they're going to take the steps at What's Good Games and Kind of Funny Games to disclose this relationship. They're certainly going to disclose it at the time of E3. The question then becomes when October hits and when November hits, are they going to disclose that relationship again? Because it's easy enough to kind of forget that if you're sitting in their seats, if you're dealing with all the stuff that they're going to deal with throughout the year, but not everybody that watches them, watches their podcast or watches their Twitch stream is going to know, is going to remember that they wound up having this contractual relationship with Electronic Arts back in May, back in June. And if you don't continue to remind people, I think that you can potentially run afoul of the Federal Trade Commission's guidelines. And so, again, as we've done in the previous Age of the Influencer series in virtual legality, I think it's important to bring up what the FTC guidelines are actually for. And we're going to talk about what their FAC kind of response, their overall summary of their endorsement guide says, just so that we have an understanding of what the generalized rule is here. And then we're also going to bring up one of their specific endorsement guidelines, which are written a little bit more legalese, so I don't use them in virtual legality very often. But they are pretty useful to kind of giving you a mindset for what kind of funny games has to deal with, what what's good games has to deal with, what Easy Allies has to deal with, and what everybody else has to deal with when they're reviewing the game industry. What, what the FTC and what the federal government in the United States thinks is necessary to be disclosed. And so I've got this highlighted language here. It says, the guides say if there's a connection between an endorser, which they broadly describe as somebody saying something positive about a product, and the marketer that consumers would not expect, and it would affect how consumers evaluate the endorsement, that connection should be disclosed. In other words, if somebody is saying something about a product, if in November, Andrea Renee is saying, I just adore uh, Jedi Fallen Order, and here's why, and is talking about the game, would it be of interest to someone that is watching their podcast, watching their video, that Andrea Renee got some kind of monetary compensation, got flown out, got whatever else it is that she got for performing as a host for the EA Play 2019 live streams? And I think it's pretty clear that the answer is yes. For most reasonable third-party objective observers, they would be interested to know when hearing about an Electronic Arts product that the person that they are hearing about it from is a contractor for the producer of that product. That's kind of an easy, gimme, FTC-compliant yes. A reasonable person, a reasonable consumer would want to know that relationship. And I think that's going to become more and more important in the video game industry as the kind of legacy media, the IGNs and the GameSpots of the world, fade a little bit because Electronic Arts and because Activision and because Sony and Microsoft and everyone else has started to notice that their dollars go further 
with an influencer, with somebody with a million Twitch subscribers or uh, 500,000 YouTube subscribers, that their dollars are going further with those folks than they are providing access and free copies to GameSpot and press junkets and things of that nature. It's one of the, uh, among a number of, reasons that the E3 Expo in general is becoming, I think, less and less attractive to these big developers. Not only because they can have a direct whenever they want or a state of play if you're Sony, but also because the legacy media is having less and less of an impact on what things are actually being purchased by the video game market. So these influencers are here to stay uh, in the current framework and in current environment. And it's going to become more and more important that people understand what kind of benefits they're getting, what kind of monetary compensation they're getting, and that they take the steps to disclose what compensation they're getting at every step of the process. And that I don't think is asking for too much. I don't think that's an inordinate amount of regulation. It's really just trying to see what a third party uh, objective observer would consider important about the relationship that you have with somebody. And I highlighted one specific line here that talks about whether or not somebody's an endorser. And the FTC makes specific, specific disclosure of a financial connection a requirement. It says you have a financial connection to the company that hired you and the relationship exists whether or not you're being paid for a particular tweet. So it does matter that they have this contractual relationship at E3, even if they aren't getting paid $100 to review Need for Speed or to review Fallen Order in November. It matters because that relationship existed within the last six months. Uh, you know, if this was talking about something that happened 30 years ago, maybe you can get away from it and say, well, that's not a real relationship at this point in time. But that's not the case here. In this specific instance, these games that I'm talking about, Need for Speed and FIFA and the Jedi game, are all going to be available, presumably, at EA Play 2019. They're going to see these things. They're going to make the segues. They're going to host the developers talking about these new games. They're going to get access to them. They're going to guide folks in understanding what the games are. And then they're going to be asked on a daily basis, if you're kind of funny, to talk about them as October and November rolls around. And I don't know whether it makes sense for them to disclose that relationship every single time they have an episode, especially when you're talking about the number of episodes that Kind of Funny Games puts out there. But that's the position they've put themselves in by Greg taking a position like this. And I think it's an important thing to note because it's very easy to trip up. And we are sitting right now in a particular moment in the cultural zeitgeist where I think a lot of eyes are on the video game industry. You've got the World Health Organization coming out and saying gaming addiction is a real disorder. You've got three senators on a bipartisan basis bringing a bill to prohibit a specific business model in the video game industry that right now is driving a lot of profit and is driving a lot of growth, especially from more casually oriented games, especially from the mobile market. You have all of these eyeballs on the industry. Why? Because there's a lot of money there because there's a lot of success there, because they see a lot of kids playing them and a lot of people getting involved in the industry, and they see a lot of this kind of laissez-faire, kind of not worrying about the details for objective legal compliance. And I think it behooves everybody, everybody involved in the industry, everybody commenting on the industry, not just people that are listening or watching virtual legality, to take the steps to do the easy things. I'm not saying that we can't fight tooth and nail about the loot box bill or about gaming disorder definitions, and we can't have good advocacy for making sure these things are done right. But on the easy stuff, 
on saying, hey, maybe I shouldn't take that contract with Activision to talk about these things at E3. Or maybe I need to disclose if I do take that contract every single time I mention an Activision product or an Electronic Arts product in the case of kind of funny games and what's good games. If I have to take those steps, then so be it. I will do that. Because the more and more the video game industry and the people that are adjacent to the video game industry kind of run afoul of these pretty easy rules, the more and more eyeballs are going to be pointed at the industry, at the people that are involved in the industry. And I think in the long term, that's a bigger and bigger problem for everybody involved. The last thing I wanted to bring up here is the actual endorsement guides. These are the legalese, but I picked up one specific example because I thought that it would be interesting to folks that watch virtual legality that listen to this podcast. And example seven is talking about a circumstance where disclosure has to be made. It says a college student who has earned a reputation as a video game expert maintains a personal web blog or blog where he posts entries about his gaming experiences. You like the definition of web blog and blog there? The FTC, all government guides always on the cutting edge. Readers of his blog frequently seek his opinions about video game hardware and software. As it has done in the past, the manufacturer of a newly released video game system sends the student a free copy of the system and asks him to write about it on his blog. He tests the new gaming system and writes a favorable review. Because his review is disseminated via a form of consumer-generated media in which his relationship to the advertiser is not inherently obvious... Readers are unlikely to know that he has received the video game system free of charge in exchange for his review of the product. And given the value of the video game system, this fact likely would materially affect the credibility they attach to the endorsement. Let's break all of that down, but basically they're saying, hey, you know, when you buy a copy of Electronic Gaming Monthly or GamePro or whatever it is when this was written as guidelines, you know that these people are getting free copies of things to review. That's their purpose. That's how it functions. And nobody is confused about how it functions. But... When I'm reading Joe Blow's blog about the video games, or maybe when I'm watching Easy Allies, or What's Good Games, or Kind of Funny, really depends, then I don't necessarily know what they got free. I don't necessarily know what kind of relationships that they have with these various groups. If you look at Easy Allies, who's doing formalized review of video games, then you note whenever they do a review of a Sony product, they actually put a disclaimer on the front that says, uh, free copy provided by PlayStation, I think. And that's clearly mandated by Sony. Sony wants to be compliant with these FTC guidelines. The advertisers have certain liabilities as well if they don't make these compliance things known. And so they make Easy Allies do that when they don't necessarily make IGN and GameSpot do that. I don't know, actually. I don't believe I've seen that disclaimer put on an IGN or GameSpot video. But if you have seen one, let me know in the comments. But they don't make them do that because it's not as clear in the current media landscape what exactly the kind of funny games and easy allies and what's good games and these various groups actually do and what kind of relationship they actually have with the publishers and the console manufacturers. And when that's unclear, the FTC rules basically always say, aim for clarity, be more transparent, make more disclosures because disclosure in respect of this particular legal issue basically cures all ills. So if you can disclose something, do disclose it. And if you can disclose it in a way that informs people and doesn't necessarily ruin the kind of flow or look of your product, all the better. And everybody involved in the influencer side of things, whether that's Twitch streamers or Fortnite players or kind of video production companies like Easy Allies and kind of funny games and what's good games, all of them should be looking at this issue 
this year. They should have looked at it before, but if they haven't, they should be looking at it this year. They should be talking about how they make these disclosures. And this should be part of the conversation that they have every time something like what is happening with EA Play 2019 is proposed. Because I think the right way to disclose this would be to have it be disclosed every single time an electronic arts thing comes up in those podcasts, on those video services. And hey, if they do that, more power to them. But it would be a surprise to me as a consumer of their products, as as watchers of what they put out there, for that disclosure to be made as would be necess- necessitated by the FTC rules every single time one of these games comes up. I don't know that they can actually do it, which is one of the reasons why they should be cautious about taking on these contracts. And when I look at it, I say, okay, that is interesting. And I'm not sure it's a great idea for these companies in particular, for these companies that kind of rely on commenting on the game industry on a weekly or on a daily basis. This example finishes off by saying, the blogger in question should clearly and conspicuously disclose that he received the gaming system free of charge. The manufacturer should advise him at the time it provides the gaming system that this connection should be disclosed and it should have procedures in place to try to monitor his postings for compliance. That last bit is important because if I'm electronic arts, I'm taking on certain liability if I'm not watching what my endorsers are doing after the fact. Now, the FTC gives a kind of ambiguous umbrella set of rules for this. You don't have to be completely in charge of everything that the people that you've given money to go out there into the world with. You're not beholden to everything they say, but you have to have reasonable mechanisms in place to make sure that they're not just flouting the rules, that they're not just completely ignoring them. So Electronic Arts should, at bare minimum, as part of their contract, be saying, you guys have to comply with the rules, including the disclosure rules after our contract is ended. And we are going to be periodically checking up on what you are doing to make sure that you're disclosing that this relationship exists for at least a reasonable amount of time after the contract is ended. And I would imagine if I were their lawyers, if I were talking to them on these points, I would probably suggest that that time period extend through at least the release date of all the video games that make an appearance at EA Play 2019. Whether or not they actually do that is an open question, but it's something that I think Electronic Arts should be concerned with, that What's Good Games should be concerned with, that Kind of Funny Games should be concerned with, and that really everybody else in the industry should be concerned with for exactly the reasons that I said earlier in this video. This is an inflection point for the video game industry. I don't think, if you've listened to my other videos in virtual legality, I don't think there's an appetite, really, to pass the loot box bill. I don't think there's a lot of an impetus right this second in the political environment to act on the WHO's gaming disorder kind of definitions and to do other things in the law to hurt the video game industry. That being said, I think the ESA, the lobbying group that's responsible for the video game industry, is maybe at its weakest point that I can recall in my adult life. And if there are senators or congresspeople that want to grandstand, that want to make a name for themselves in video games, and I think there are, This is an excellent time for them to do it because of that weakness, because of that weakness of organization of the video game industry players. So I think it would behoove everybody that's interested in the industry, that loves the industry, that comments on the industry, like I do, frankly, to try to comply with as many of the rules and laws as possible, and especially the easy ones like disclosure and the FTC compliance requirements. The final word I'll say on this is, as you can probably tell from the video, Not legally, not business-oriented wise, but just kind of practically speaking, I don't think it's a good idea to have the hosts of 
these shows that comment on the industry take on these secondary roles that actually comment, uh, that actually host for the producers of this content, what it is that they're showing to the world. I think it is a conflict of interest, and I think it's very difficult to kind of skin that onion in such a way that you are giving the electronic arts of the world good service as a host of their product, as a host of their EA 2019 play event, and also good service to your customers, your Patreons, your patrons, the people that watch your podcast, that watch your videos. I, I think it's very difficult to try to present them good, honest commentary while also being what amounts to a sponsor of a specific producer of contents goods. And so I would advise if they didn't already to actually really think about whether or not they enter into contracts like this in the future. Obviously, they don't have to take my advice on these things. And I really do think they're going to do a great job. I enjoy their content. Uh, But I think it really does call into question the opinions that they will wind up having six months from now. And in respect of basically everything that Electronic Arts produces, every decision that they make, whether they implement loot boxes or microtransactions or make other problematic decisions in the business models that they put out there, I will question exactly what kind of position those two groups in particular have on those topics because they know that they just got paid to present and to host this event. And they know that they could potentially get paid again to host next year's event as long as they aren't too critical of Electronic Arts. That's my video. That's virtual legality today. If you like this video, please do like, please subscribe to this channel. We are talking about the law and business of video games in particular all the time. We're also talking about software, information technology, mergers and acquisitions like the Disney Fox merger and other things that are fun and that are interesting to this mergers and acquisitions and venture capital lawyer in Michigan. I'm also covering pop culture matters, including doing postmortems on Game of Thrones and Avengers and other things that I'm interested in. And we just this week launched a new series where me and my brother are talking about game design, the business of the industry. My brother's been a game designer now for more than a decade. He's been involved in Ratchet and Clank and Destiny 2 and Call of Duty. And he is just an absolute genius on this stuff. He is a pleasure to talk to. I think you'll be really interested in what he has to say. Check out the pilot episode of Two Hogs Are Better Than One when you get the chance. I think it's the lead video on my channel right now. But otherwise, if you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. If you listen to this in its podcast form, thank you so much for listening. Please do review it on whatever podcast service you're listening to it on. And I will catch you on the very next Virtual Legality.